Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time we can gather as your family, as your body, to praise your holy name. Thank you for your word that we can open up and see you, know you, and obey you. So Lord, I pray for this time as we turn to John, the Gospel of John, and we see the acts of Jesus, what it means for us, that we can see him for who he is, see his love, see his attitude, see his example, but see how he saves us and what he calls us to. Lord, we love you, we seek you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Humility can surprise us. Especially in this day and age where it seems like everyone is about building themselves up and making their own brand or maybe making a platform. In this day and age where we have people who can make a living just being on social media and being kind of cool, and it's all about us, humility can surprise us. Especially with someone who is a prominent person, when they act humble, we actually can be taken aback a little bit. Which, to, which uh, brings to mind the story of Lemuel Haynes. It's a name that probably a few of you guys know, but he in, was born in 1753. He was a son of an indentured servant and a slave in Connecticut. He f- was freed at the age of 21, and so he became, uh, I, right then, when he was 21, a little years after, the Revolutionary War broke out, and he was a soldier, and actually joined the famous Green Mountain Boys under Ethan Allen, and kind of uh, became known as a, a, a prominent soldier in that time. He was the first African American after that to lead an all-white congregation, and then the first African American in the United States to be ordained as a minister. He was the first one to receive an honorary degree from a college because of his work. He was a prominent pastor in New England, and by all counts, truly a great man that had great influence. And yet, he was a humble man, a man that didn't let this go to his head, a veteran, a pastor, an honorary college graduate, and yet he still did not let that go to his head. And one anecdote that I think that shows it so clearly is that uh, a guy was uh, looking for a preacher for a funeral, and they said, hey, go find Lemuel Hayes, and he'll preach that funeral for you, and he'll do a great job. And so this guy goes to where he thought Haynes would be, and he sees this black man toiling in a field, and he says, I'm looking for Lemuel Hayes. And so the guy stood up, kind of wiped his brow, looked at him, and says, I'm Haynes. And the guy said, I'm looking for the Haynes who preaches. So Lemuel Haynes said, I try that sometimes. <laughs> he didn't let his prominent stature or his position or even his history go to his head. He had humility. And when we open up the Gospel of John and we come to chapter 13 and we see how Jesus approaches his disciples and approaches these last few hours before he's going to be arrested and tried and crucified, we see the epitome of humility. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 13. And if you do not have your Bibles, do not worry. It's going to be on the screen in here. We're going to read to uh, verse 30 here. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from out of this world to the Father, 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing to you, doing you, do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed the feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, do, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side, so Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, Is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it? So when he had dipped a morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Knowing who we are in Christ calls us to serve like Christ. This is what we see in this passage, that identity, who we are rooted in Christ, actually transforms us and frees us. It calls us, it demands us to start living and out this faith we have in him and calls us to be free to live like Christ. Knowing who we are in Christ calls us to be and to serve like Christ. Who we are in Christ, that we know Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as the Messiah, the one who has come, the one who has taken our sin upon himself, the one who has given us his righteousness before God, the one who now has given us a new life as a son, as a daughter of the Most High. That is who we are in him. And so now we look to him and we say, how can I live out this new identity, this new person I am in him? 
that knowing who we are in Christ calls us to serve like Christ. And we see a perfect example in John chapter 13. I love how one commentator puts it like this. It says, following Christ is not a path to human greatness or man's acclaim. Following Jesus means we will put down the respect and riches of this world and pick up a wet, dirt-stained towel and use it to clean someone's muddy feet. The way to follow Jesus is to serve others humbly. That when we see Jesus in these last few hours, how does he act? He acts with humility. He acts with love. He acts with service. Knowing who we are in Christ calls us to serve like Christ. And when we look at the context of this, this passage, we see that it's, right before, it's, it's during the Passover meal. This is the, the last meal Jesus would have with his disciples. He was sitting down to this meal, and it's a celebration of, of, of the remembering of how God saved the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're having this meal, and we know how Jesus is going to take this meal and now point to himself as the fulfillment of it and but it's during this festival kind of feast meal that he has and he's he's uh talking to them he's going to be teaching them and it, i love how it says that he uh, knew his hour had come to part of this world that before in the gospel of john we see that the hour had not yet come and so that's why he has not been really putting himself into authority's hands yet but now the hour had come he knew what was about to happen he knew what awaited him after the garden he knew that the betrayer was going to uh, sell him out uh, to the authorities he knew that he was going to be falsely tried he knew he was going to be beaten he knew he was going to be whipped he knew he was going to head to the cross and he knew the victory that he was going to achieve through that he knew, knowing all these things, and this is his last action with his disciples as he's teaching them, and it's one of humility and service. And fundamentally, it's one of displaying his love for them. For that's what the text tells us. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That no matter what's going to come next, no matter what he's going to do, including this, this chapter but beyond, this was going to be a display of his love for his people. And so he is going to love them. And we see in this context, how does he love them? Well, on the surface, he loves them by washing their feet. The custom of this time was at, the, at a kind of a, a special dinner or a festival. People would come in and they would recline at a table and then someone would wash their feet usually when they came in. And this job was deemed so low and belittling that it was given to the lowest menial servant or slave and that if someone like that was not available, then the lowest kind of person in stature would take it upon themselves to wash people's feet. And, but we see here that all of a sudden there's no one there to wash people's feet at this Passover meal, and we're asking who dropped the ball. Which disciple did not plan for someone to be there to wash their feet? We don't know. And we see just jostling, maybe position that maybe the disciples are saying, well, I'm not going to do it. I don't think it's worth me. Maybe, maybe we should ask Thaddeus to do it. The disciple you never hear about except for in the list of disciples. He hasn't done anything great. Nothing of noteworthy. This, maybe he should be washing feet. And we see this kind of power struggle going on this, that people were wondering what happened, who's going to do here. I mean, this is a custom that was so menial, so humility, humiliating that actually uh, the Jewish people at the time thought a Jewish servant shouldn't do this task because they were of too noble a character. 
to do it. That should be get them into the lowest of low. And so in this context, how surprising, how shocking is it that all of a sudden Jesus stands up and he starts to serve. If through their whole understanding of what it meant to be a leader of, of their, their master, of their teacher, it, it turned it upside down in their minds that Jesus would stand up and start to serve them in such a way. Which makes, us, makes me wonder, like, what keeps us humans from serving others, that that shocks us that Jesus would do so. I think when you boil it down, what keeps people from serving others is pride, isn't it? That we're too proud to serve someone else. Why? Because we equate what we do with who we are, and so we say, man, if I do a menial task, that means I'm menial. If I do something low and humbling, that means I'm pretty low, isn't it? We equate who we are with what we do, but yet Jesus kind of explodes this paradigm and says, no, that's not where your identity found. It's not what you do. It's actually who you are in me that matters. And once you know that, you're actually freed to serve as he frees. And so we see this power struggle that we, that we kind of assume here, but John is the only gospel that records the foot washing that Jesus does. But I love that when you take John and you match it up with the gospel of Luke, we see kind of this lovely dovetailing that goes in. For the gospel of Luke records that at this last supper, disciples were arguing who is the greatest among themselves. That they were talking to him and says, you know, I'm pretty great. And, you know, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, when he throws those Romans out, he's going to make me pretty high in his kingdom. And the other ones were like, no, 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 I'm better than you. Obviously, he's going to give me a bigger portion, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to rule well. And you have this kind of power struggle that we see in the Gospel of Luke. And to this, Jesus tells them, it's in my kingdom, in how my economy of things, that the leader serves. And he has this great quote. He says, who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Because obviously the one that reclines at the table is greater, right? But I am the one who serves. In the Gospel of Luke, we just say, well, that's, his life is one of service. But when you combine it with John, we see maybe he said this right after he washed their feet. I I'm the one who serves. I'm the one who's willing to get dirty to display my love for my people. So we see that he serves in this, this radical fashion, that he loves people, and he does this because he's confident in who he is. It's no mistake that the Gospel writer adds this right before he gets up to serve when he describes Jesus in this way. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper to serve. What freed Jesus to act in such a humble way? He knew who he was. That he says, I am from the Father. He has given me all authority in my hands. He is, I'm going back to the Father. I know who I am, and so I can serve because I know it's not what I do that defines me. I'm defined by who I am in God. And it's the same way for us. 
This is someone who might be running a business that feels like, hey, I can pick up the trash and do some small stuff around the office. Why? Because that doesn't define me, but I know who I am, and so I can serve in that fashion, that he can serve confident in who he is, and that's the same thing that should be true for us. That if we know who we are in Christ, we're free to serve. Because it's no longer about what people think about us. It's no longer what they might say about us. It's no longer about how many followers we have on Twitter or how popular we are out in the, in the world. It's how, who we are in Christ that frees us, calls us, demands us to now serve like Christ. And so Christ serves. I love that it is an action. There's no mistaking it. Service requires action. Jesus, as we see in verses um, <clears throat> 5 through uh, 6, two verses, there's seven action words, verbs, crammed in there. Jesus rose from supper. He took off his outer garments. He wrapped a towel around himself. He poured the water. He washed the feet. He dried the feet. Service, life of humility is one of action that Jesus displays for us so well that he actually is driven to get up. He's actually driven to act in ways that are humbling to serve and love Others is a call for us that when we look upon someone in need, we don't just wish them well. We don't just say, I'll pray for you. We should do all those things. But then we act. We serve. We love with our lives. And we see fundamentally that no one is above serving. That Jesus himself, the leader, the teacher, he serves his disciples and we see that no one is too important to serve. No one is too grand in their, even in their own minds, not to serve. That everyone is called to serve like Jesus served if they're in Christ. Not only is no one above being, uh, no one above serving, but no one is below being served. For who was among the people who had their feet washed? Judas. The guy who John, every time he writes his name, can't help but say, the guy who portrays Jesus. Don't, don't forget who he is. I write Judas. Hey, this is the guy who portrays our Lord. I write Judas. This is the guy who was a thief. I write Judas. This is the guy we despise. Because he's about to do. And what does Jesus do? He washes his feet right along with the people who would stay, who, who, who would, he would set up the church through. He washes Judas' feet because no one is below being served. The whole context of this passage is reminding us and setting up that, Jesus, that Judas was in league with Satan, and yet Jesus washed his feet. We can't help but wonder, what would we do if we were in that same situation? You know, wash Thomas' feet. Oh, here comes Judas. Maybe just pass him by. Wash the next feet. 
Maybe, maybe you make a public confrontation, not be so cryptic about a morsel of bread here and this. This is the guy who's going to betray me, which apparently went right over the disciples' head because they're still confused about what's going on. But we see, what does Jesus do? He loves his enemies. He loves the one who's about to stab him in the back for 30 pieces of silver. And he washes his feet. Would we do the same to those who betray us, those who hurt us, those who speak bad about us, serve them as Christ calls us to serve? I hope so. And we only can do that if we know who we are in Christ. For being in Christ, knowing who we are, we're on solid ground that can never change by what we do or what happens around us or what people think about us or, or anything. Knowing who we are in Christ calls us, frees us, demands us to serve like Christ. But I love, in all of the Gospels, we see this layers upon layers of meaning. For in Jesus wiping the disciples' feet of the dirt encrusted on their feet, we see an act of service, we seek an act of ability that we're called to follow and do likewise, but also we see layers upon layers because Jesus points that this is a foreshadowing of what he's about to go through. That this act of humility, of washing feet, is just a taste of the life of humility he's going to, experience, of the, the humility he's going to have as he goes to the cross. That this life, this act of humility illustrates his life of humility, points to going to the cross. And when he has this dialogue with Peter, you know, he says, Peter, you don't understand what is happening, but you will understand. Because if they can't understand that Jesus is going to die on the cross yet, how could they understand the, the, the acts that are so laden with symbols that point to what's going to happen? But they'll understand later when they see his death and they see what he accomplishes, they'll understand that even in life and how he served was foreshadowing, pointing to how he's going to save them. And we see also the, the offense of the gospel and how Jesus says we must be cleansed. In this dialogue he has with Peter, he says, you, you will not have any part with me unless I can wash your feet. Because he says, this is the foreshadow. This points to the cleansing that's going to come if you believe in me. The cleansing that's going to come through my action on the cross. The cleansing that comes to us when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Lord. That he is the Messiah. That he saves us from our sins. He says, if you believe that, you must know that I cleanse you. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't wash ourselves. Jesus says you must submit and admit that you are a sinner and needing of cleansing. And so he cleanses us. This is, this is reflected in the gospel message as we see in Titus um, 3, verses 4 and on. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That we're cleansed by Christ, and this points to how we're going to be cleansed through 
the cross. Then now Jesus always does, he kind of turns his metaphor a little bit. And he stops and he kind of points to this is a once and for all thing. When Peter argues with him, which is kind of a form of pride, when he says, no, not I. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy, which is just the flip side of pride. Jesus, Peter, and, and so Jesus says, no, you must do this. You must submit to this to be part of me. But then he says, but, I, but wash my hands. Wash my head, Jesus, then wash all of me. So Jesus flips the metaphor a little bit and says, you've already been cleansed. Why? Because you believe in me. Speaking now to all of us, we can read this and we say, if we believe in Jesus, we, we are cleansed. And so we know that it's a once and all type of, of act of forgiveness that he cleanses us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we continually go to him asking forgiveness, but we have the confidence that in his sacrifice that is pointing to that we have forgiveness. And that is our security and confidence of where we stand in God's eyes because we stand in Christ, that he once for all saved us, once for all cleansed us, once and for all made us his own. So we stand secure in that. Knowing who we are in Christ calls us to serve like Christ. But then Jesus takes what he did and he turns it into a command and says, you all do likewise. He says, no one is above serving. If I, your Lord and teacher, if I, the person you look to to lead this band, uh, if you look to me for leadership, then you should serve like I serve. No one is greater than me. He says there, a, a messenger is not greater than the one who was sent. The, the, the follower is not greater than the master. That you are not greater than me. That if I have a life of service, so too should you live a life of service. One of humility. One that seeks to follow me by loving other people as I have demonstrated it. And that that confidence you have comes from who you are in me. Because he talks about who they are. I chose you. You're mine. You didn't choose me, but I picked you. And because I picked you, I'm never going to let you go. You cannot escape my hand. You are mine and you're secure in that. And because you're secure in that, now live like it. And nothing else is going to influence who you are or influence who you are in God's eyes or my eyes. You are mine. I chose you. Now live for me and all that you do. You're not, you're not just chosen, but you're now cleansed once and for all. That you're mine, that I have taken all your sins and I've made them so far away from me as far as the east is from the west that they no longer have any bearing of, on who you are. That they have been destroyed. They have been, they're going to be nailed to the cross with me when I go there. And so we have confidence on who we are in him that we can serve now like him. That we're no longer concerned about the power we might have in this world. We're no longer concerned with maybe even the position we have in this world. We're no longer concerned with the pay we get in this world. We're no longer concerned with what others think. Why? Because fundamentally what matters most is who we are in Christ. And that trumps all and undergirds our all that we have a lot of identities that we might cling to in this world we might say i'm a father i'm a i'm a i'm a son i'm i'm an employee i'm an employer i'm an arkansan or 
I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an American. Whatever identities we grab onto, some are good. Some might not be as good as others. But we claim identities, don't we? And that's okay. It helps us organize the world and our minds. But what undergirds them all is that if we're in Christ, we are his. That if we're in Christ, now that identity becomes fundamental to who we are and influences how we see all the other identities. That fundamentally to who we are, we are in Christ. And so I can look out at other people who are in Christ and call them brother and sister. And that's not just language. That's reality. That they, that you guys, if you believe in Christ, are my brothers and my sisters. That we are literally a family. Why? Because God made it so. That we are knit together as family. That we call upon each other as family. That we bear with each other as family. That we can even annoy each other as family. But we're tied together because Christ has made it so in him. Which means all those other identities we try to pull upon us and put on ourselves do not trump our identity in Christ. And so what some of us might call ourselves Republican. Some might call us Democrat. Some might call us apathetic. Doesn't matter. We can have discussions, but they should be civil, like family discussions with love, because we are in Christ. Some people might live in Oklahoma. <laughs> and that doesn't matter because we're in Christ. Some people might root for different teams than us. And so on game day, we can have a hearty conversation about that. But we're in Christ. So we live and breathe and love like brothers and sisters. Because that is who Christ made us. That is our identity. And I love how Jesus then puts the cherry on top and he says this in verse 20. If I can find it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one <clears throat> who sent me. That Jesus says there's a chain that I'm sending people out and if people receive them, they receive me. And if they receive me, they receive God the Father. And he says you too can be part of that chain. And he's speaking throughout the ages, I believe, right into us who believe in him. You can be part of that chain. You're sent out by Jesus. And so when people receive you, they're receiving Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they're receiving God the Father. You can be part of that chain if you believe and know who you are in me. If you're living out what I've called you to live out. That people see you, they'll see me, and they'll see the Father in action. I call that the cherry on top because who do, would not want to be part of that chain 
that illustrious chain that we can say that when you look at me, you might see someone who has been saved by grace, which you should see, because I'm feeble, I have made mistakes, and I still make mistakes. But through that, you catch a glimpse of something greater than me. You catch the glimpse of that grace that which saved me. You catch the glimpse that I serve a mighty Savior who took all of my mistakes, all of my sin upon himself. And so when you see him, you see the man sent by God, the man who was God, the man in the flesh who lived a perfect life for us, the one who took hit all of our sins to the cross to die for us, the one who rose from the grave to conquer sin and death, the one who now has ascended and is sitting on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for us day by day, moment by moment, second by seven. When you see me in action living out my faith, that is what you should see. The truth that God saves through Jesus Christ that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We are part of that chain if we believe in Jesus. We are part of that chain if we know who we are in Christ. So what does that have to do with our lives? Everything. And when we read this passage, we cannot help see the command. It was not just for the disciples, it's for all of us. Serve, love, act with humility like I do, Jesus says. doesn't mean we have to be literally washing people's feet, but it does mean we have that heart and all that we do, we serve as he's called us to serve. And so first and foremost, what that means is that we look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and we have confidence in who we are in Christ. That we know it, we hold to it, and we let all of life flow from that. And when that flows, and we are urged to move to action, we get up and we start serving. That we follow Jesus' example because he has saved us. We look for ways to serve. We look for ways to love. We look for ways in which we can show Christ to everyone. Through our actions and then through our proclamation of why we would do that. Because he has saved us. And we serve others. And then we be service-minded, other people-minded we maybe put down our own wants and desires a little bit. We can start with a little bit and then we can go from there. And we say, I serve others and look for their needs and humbly submit myself to their needs to live the truth of who Christ has made me. To love as he has called me to love. And that starts right here in this context. When Jesus turned to his disciples and said, you guys should do likewise, he was saying, brother should love brother, sister should love sister, that my family should love each other. And in a little bit, next week, we're going to see how this is the mark of if you're my disciples, if you love each other. That starts right here, that family loves family. And what does that look like? I think we can, and I'm, I'm really thankful I, I serve in a church that I can point to countless examples of people serving in this humbly way, humble ways. That we have people who don't want to be in kids, but they know they're going to serve, and know so they want to go spend a week back in kids serving. That we have people who, you know, 
They're like, maybe I make too much money to act like a barista on a Sunday morning. But they act like a barista on Sunday morning. Why? Because that is a way to serve humbly. I'm not talking about myself this morning. That was a <laughs> one-time thing. <laughs> Just joking. Humbly serve that we can look for all of these examples and we see that. And I'm just going to use a personal one that uh, is this really, it just happened recently. So um, as, as you probably, some of you have heard I had some car troubles. I was out, I was studying in Louisville for my degree program and uh, my car decided to go kaput and that's still going on. It's still being fixed, by the way, fun stuff. So um, I, was, I was out there trapped in Louisville, nine and a half hours away, and uh, they Fixing it would cost an arm and leg out there. It's going to cost maybe an arm and a half a leg here. Um, and, and I needed to be back. I had too much stuff going on to spend another week fixing a car in Louisville. And so my brother drove nine and a half hours with a trailer uh, after he got done running with his cross-country runners um, that morning. Got into Louisville at 1.30 in the morning. He, uh, we went to the place and loaded up the trailer, and so we got done by 3 o'clock in the morning. We went to bed, and I had a class at 8, my last class before we came home, and I was done by 12, and I called him up and said, I'm done, and so he's like, all right, let's head home, and so we get back in the car, and we drive again nine and a half hours to arrive home around Saturday at 1 a.m. This is, so in a 24-hour period, he drove... 20 of those, uh, seemingly, and to serve humbly me. Now, he's my brother. You can say that's what brothers do. But just because he's my brother does not take away from me. He's also my brother in Christ, and that all brothers serve in such a fashion. And that's like a big grand kind of thing. You're like, wow. But that shows a, a mentality and a heart saying, I am going to serve even when it means putting my own wants and desires on the hold. That I'm going to take the time to help someone in need out in a way that is not convenient, that costs me not only time but energy and, and money and, and wants and desires, and to serve in that fashion. And that's personal to me, but I think it's a call that we see this is how we do what Jesus commands us. That we live a life looking for opportunities to love one another through service. We live a life where we take the time to maybe slow down a bit and serve others who are in need. Notice when someone's in need and love them as we're called to love them. That we seek to honor and follow Christ because we're confident in who we are in him. So we know that we shouldn't be concerned with those other things that demand our attention, our time, and our energy. Because knowing who we are in Christ calls us to serve like Christ. So let's do likewise. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we seek you, we, we praise your name for you are good. We praise your name for, because it's only through you that we can do these acts of services. That we, we could maybe drum up our own energy and our own power, but that would quickly fail and that would go away and that does not honor you. But because we stand in Christ, because he has changed us, 
Because he has given us a new life, we now can live out that new life in those bold and great ways that honor you, proclaim your truth, and love others as you called us to love them. Lord, we ask that we can have the courage, the boldness, to go and do likewise. To know who we are in you, and then live that out all around us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.